We're sat here in sunny Liverpool on Wednesday the 3rd of May in 2017 and uh, we're discussing the late breaking news session. My name is David Byrne, I'm a neurologist from Newcastle and I'm with uh, Professor Kevin Talbot from Oxford. And Kevin is going to give a talk very shortly in a plenary session in the main hall about antisense treatment in SMA, which is a landmark in the therapy of motor neurone disease. So we're just going to ask Kevin a few questions about this presentation and what it might mean for clinicians in the future in general. So Kevin, I, I guess the first thing to ask you is um, the ABN is obviously comprised of a whole bunch of neurologists, many of whom are clinical, and um, can you make sense of antisense treatment to us? What does it really mean? Well, I think the first key point to make is that it's 20 years, over 20 years, since the gene for this disorder was identified, and although SMA is essentially a childhood motor neurone disorder. Most adult neurologists won't encounter it. It is actually the second commonest recessive gene right. after cystic fibrosis, and it's the commonest cause of genetic um, death in, in infancy. So, um, like a lot of genetic disorders in the 80s and 90s, there was a tremendous amount of hope and hype, really, about going from gene to therapy, and yet there have been very few examples of that in practice. So this is, in my view, a landmark in neurological therapeutics because we now have a treatment that demonstrably works, and it's based on a complete understanding of the genetic mechanism of spinal muscular atrophy. So I started my PhD in 1995 in the months in which the gene was identified, and I naively assumed that in the space of two or three years I could work out the mechanism of the disease. And we got fairly close to understanding what the relationship between the actual mutation was and disease severity. But since then, we've understood in, in a really high level of detail why splicing of this gene uh, is the key to the therapy. So about five million years ago, there was a duplication event in a common human chimpanzee ancestor. So only humans and chimpanzees have two copies of this gene called SMN. The chimpanzee copies are identical. The human copy has acquired in exon 7 one base pair change, which actually means that the probability in this copy gene that exon 7 is included in the final transcript is low, it's about 10%. And that means that if you don't have SMN1, the ancestral gene, and in, in this disease that is mutated out, it's deleted out completely, all you have left is SMN2, which produces a very small amount of full-length protein, and therefore you have SMN deficiency. The protein is deficient, and, we, and for reasons that we still don't understand, motor neurons are vulnerable to that deficiency. So antisense therapy is a way of tricking this SMN2 gene, which every patient with SMA has, into behaving like the SMN1 gene. So you dock in a piece of DNA, it binds to that region of exon 7 where the base pair changes, and essentially creates the template for the splicing machinery to assemble and include exon 7 in the final transcript, therefore increasing the amount of full-length protein as a product. Wow, that's very clearly explained as a non-geneticist. I can absolutely get my head around that. And just tell us, those of us who haven't really read this paper in any detail, um, you say this is giving us hope for the clinic. How far has this trial been taken, or has this work been taken? Is, are we talking about studies in children and proving benefit, or are we talking anim uh, models? What, what, where is it actually at? So the there's been years of modelling in, in mice models. Um, that you demonstrating that you can deliver these antisense um, molecules to the mouse and you can mm -hmm. you can ameliorate the disease 
But the dramatic change in the last few months is that the, human, the first human study has been published showing that in type 1 SMA, which is a devastating disorder where there is essentially 100% lethality by the age of 2, here you have every single child, with the exception of three, treated, survived past their second birthday. And they also carried on developing and acquiring motor milestones that SMA type 1 children never acquire. So SMA type 1 children uh, don't have the ability to sit unaided, they lose the, their head control, they become essentially completely paralyzed and then die of respiratory death unless they have invasive ventilation. In this study, intrathecal injection of the antisense oligonucleotide every few months over a period of several years allowed the, essentially arrested the degeneration process, allowed the children to develop and acquire these motor milestones and it's a very dramatic That's thing. That's really quite dramatic. I mean, j j just again, just to give um, people who are listening a sense of, of what, what, the, uh, what the denominator was, you mentioned three there had not done as well. What was the total number that were treated, um, roughly? It's about 15 to 20. Okay, so, and was there anything that people in retrospect knew about those three that didn't do well, that maybe... Well, they, they have been termed in some articles as non-responders, and I think that's mm. the incorrect interpretation. I think every single child in this study, it's important to remember, has clinical disease. That's why they're in the study. So they have irreversible motor neuron loss. And there's, there's clear evidence that the exact age of onset of those, those problems, which in some children is in utero, has a very strong relationship to overall survival. So even the type 1 children can develop symptoms you know, in the second month of life or the fifth month of life. And actually, the children who died had, had established disease that probably gone past the point of rescue. And this brings up a very, very subtle but important point. There's evidence from mouse models that SMN is a protein which is critical for neuromuscular development. And that there may well be a, a developmental window opportunity when this protein is critical, and then subsequently it's not critical. So if you create a transgenic mouse in which you can switch off SMN in adult life, which you can do, then the mouse doesn't seem to mind that very much. Uh, so that tells you that probably in adulthood, the protein is not having the same function that it has in development. Is the corollary of that then, that these regular injections that the children have had to have, they could perhaps cease as the person gets through that window, if you like, that critical window? So that's correct, although proving that will be possible is going to be a major undertaking. Sure. And um, at the, So there are lots of unanswered questions, and that's one of them. The second is, if you start treating children who are, you know, nine, ten years old, they've got an established, stable disease. They're in a wheelchair. You know, they've never walked. Um, firstly, actually, if you see those children and try and measure change year to year, it's extremely difficult. You can't really measure any change meaningfully. Um, so you won't know if the drugs worked. Secondly, there's pretty good biological evidence it might not work then. I mean, that's an open question. It needs to be tested. Um, so, so there are huge difficulties once you get out of the type 1 SMA sphere where it's so dramatic and so obvious. You know, my patients in an adult neurology clinic um, are in the, you know, above the age of 16 up into their 40s and 50s yes. and they do not change very much from year to year. So the numbers you would require to show an effect in that situation would be far greater? Probably, although actually what you really need is more sophisticated ways of measuring change. So an adult SMA patient um, you know, so I have patients who are very high-functioning people, lawyers, IT professionals, etc. And they 
have hand control, but not much else, and they have head control. And for them, if we could develop a scale that would measure uh, the maintenance of their hand function, for example, then you could power the study. But you know, you can forget about walking and other things because they've never walked. Neither would they wish to. That's really, really helpful. Well, I think, Kevin, that's a a, a tremendous explanation of obviously a complex but an incredibly exciting area. And as you say, I think you've given the listeners an idea that this really is a groundbreaking study and we're delighted that this is featured as a late-breaking news abstract at the uh, Liverpool ABN. So thank you very much for your time. Pleasure.